Welcome to the Drinking with the Saints podcast with Mike and Alexandra Foley. Where each week, we mix a bartender's guide with the lives of the saints to help you celebrate the feasts of the calendar with liturgically correct cocktails. Let's get started. Welcome to the Drinking with the Saints podcast. I'm Mike Foley. And I'm Alexandra Foley. And welcome to our holy, happy hour. It's February and gosh, it's cold. It is indeed. And I don't know about you, Mike, but I'm ready for something to warm the blood. So we are providing drinks and exciting conversation, controversial conversation, about the upcoming feast of Our Lady of Lords on February 11th. All right. I love Our Lady of Lords. Let's get started. All right. So let us begin in our customary way. Stay with us, O Lord, for it is getting towards evening. And bless our drinks and our conversation. Amen. Amen. Our Our Lady Lady of of Lords. Pray Pray for for us. So, the drink tonight is the White Lady. Now, you may be saying, wait a minute. Again? Didn't we have the White Lady on the Feast of the Immaculate Conception? Yes, we did. We had the supercharged version of the White Lady. The ultimate White Lady. Which is fitting for a first-class feast. Also, we we always say a first-day drink. Indeed. So, today we're giving you the Paired down version of the White Lady. Much easier to make, arguably not as great, but easier to make. And Our Lady of Lords announced that she was the Immaculate Conception, so we feel it is a fair pairing. This is one of my favorite drinks, so I am not complaining. And I promise I won't complain as long as you make the drink now. The White Lady, two ounces of gin. One ounce of triple sec. And one ounce of lemon juice. Those sound like long pours, but we have to remind our listeners that we are making two. And now you're going to pour all ingredients into a shaker filled with ice and shake 40 times. And lastly, and the best part, what? Straight into a cocktail glass. <laughs> Ooh, looking good. fantastic to your health and holiness cheers our lady of lords pray for us and saint bernadette pray for us Mm, well balanced lovely drink all right i kind of just i'm not not complaining but can i just offer feedback please do it really isn't as good as the original white lady right i mean or the souped up white lady right and we could i think we discussed this on a previous podcast so the, the white lady that we love, that we did for Immaculate Conception, you have to beat egg whites. Yes. Which is just a thing. Until it forms soft peaks soft with peaks. confectioner's sugar. Ah, uh, confectioner's sugar, a little more sweetness actually wouldn't kill this drink. True. It's, it's on the tart side, I would say. Right. But 
what we have experimented with is just putting an egg white into the shaker and shaking that as well. And that smooths out, to me, it smooths out a lot of the, the sharpness of both the gin and the lemon. Okay, so we have provided our listeners tonight the low-grade sure. white lady and then the high-grade for the Feast of the Immaculate Conception, but you're suggesting kind of a mid-grade. A mid-grade, yeah. yeah. Just, I mean, it's not that hard. Just you know, get an egg white and throw it in there, maybe two. Okay. You can just do one. But it gives it a nice frothiness and a real smoothness, not to mention a little protein. Okay, so- for your happy this hour. is the what we're having tonight is kind of the Chevy the of cheap cocktails, side. Yeah. and then Immaculate Conception was the Cadillac, right. and what you're proposing is a Buick. Um, I don't understand car analogies. <laughs> uh, I understand that like a BMW is a great car, but you did Chevy mm-hmm. and Buick, Buick and Cadillac. I love you, but or how about so Cadillac is the highest? Oh my gosh! Yeah. Okay, All that right. I got. There's how about Ford? Mercury and Lincoln. No, I, you're not speaking my language at all. How about, well, there's Honda and there's Acura. Is there a, something in between for them? Can you use like a fancy, fancy car? Like, okay, I would get like a, a Ford Focus is this drink. Wow. Then the medium one would be like, my car is a Toyota Highlander. And but then a Jaguar. categories. Wait, oh, come on. Why? Because they're not all American? Darn tootin' lady. This is America. Hey, this is a cocktail and a Saints show, <laughs> not a not a car talk. Fair enough. I was just trying to bring the hay down to the goats. Wait, this goat is not that high. <laughs> I need more information. All right, fair yeah. enough. We'll move on. Let's move on. Hello, saintly sippers. I have exciting news. I have a cookbook coming out, or rather, a co-written cookbook coming out with EWTN Master Chef Father Leo Petalinghook. It is called Dining with the Saints, The Sinner's Guide to a Righteous Feast. It comes out late February, and it is available on Amazon and wherever fine books are sold. It is marvelous. I believe this is going to be the Catholic cookbook of the 21st century. Father Leo is an amazing chef. I'm happy to report that he is the author of the recipes and not I, for you do not want to trust an Irishman with the menu for the evening. Father Leo has come up with great recipes. I have paired them with wonderful saint stories. You will dig deep into the Catholic liturgical culinary tradition and never regret it. So please get a copy of Dining with the Saints. Alexandra, trivia time. Yay, I love trivia time. How many times did Our Lady of Lourdes appear to St. Bernadette Subiru? I like Subiru. Hey, Subaru, there's a uh, car. No, don't go there. Nope. <laughs> Sorry. We're keeping the Japanese out of this conversation tonight. I, honestly, I didn't. Not, I'm not prejudiced. I didn't know that Subaru <laughs> is Japanese. I always think it's from, from Maine or Vermont, which is where people, never mind. Yes. <laughs> Forget it. It's complicated. Um, how many times? I feel like I should know this. Isn't it like nine times? Times two. That's what I said, 18. 18 apparitions between February 11th, the date of the first apparition, and July 16th, the Feast of Our Lady of Mount Carmel, 18 times. However, perhaps the most significant was on the Feast of the Annunciation, 
March 25th, where the Blessed Virgin Mary announced in patois, not proper French, but the French that Bernadette knew in her region of France. Like sometimes we call that like pidgin English. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's just sort of like a, a local dialect of French. Yep. Kind of hillbilly French. I don't know if that's a right comparison, but she announced in patois, I am the Immaculate Conception. And that was huge when she was asked by the priest, like, what? So she didn't know anything Mm -hmm. about the fact that a couple decades earlier, in 1854, Pope Pius IX had solemnly defined the dogma of the Immaculate Conception. How many years? Small retraction. So I thought it was decades earlier. The solemn dogma was defined in 1854, and then Our Lady of Lords appeared to Bernadette in 1858. So four years had passed, but she, just a simple peasant girl, didn't know about any of these developments. Right. So I, 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 most of my information about Our Lady of Lords is from the movie. Oh, The Song of Bernadette? The Song of Bernadette, yeah. Great movie, by the way. Wonderful. Vincent Price, who I... Okay, I saw that he was a deathbed convert, convert or something. Oh, wow. We should look that up. Look that up, everyone. Something about him becoming Catholic. A small side note. I was recently on Pints and Pews podcast, and it's a wonderful podcast. Thank you, fellows. They're operating out of Canada. And they said to me in between takes, you know, we keep talking about how much you sound like Vincent Price in the song of Bernadette. <laughs> you, are, you're kidding me. Right. Isn't he the one who's like, oh, no, no, well, no. Yeah. I always think of it as kind of the B horror movies. Yeah, exactly. Like, so yeah. Like, like staying up late when I shouldn't have been up and watching yeah. those B horror movies. Thank, like, thank you. That's great. Well, maybe it's because he became holy. I don't know. I really want to look that up. <laughs> so I've never been compared to Vincent Price before, but I'll take it as a compliment. I would prefer more of like Orson Welles, kind of like oh, the deep voice. Okay. Here's an aside from an aside. I got to be honest, I when you were looking, I just added a little bit of triple sec to my drink. <gasps> you did? I did. And I like it even better. All right. So, so that's like a souped up Chevy. <laughs> I don't even know. What is souped up? It's like Come a hot on. rod. Okay. Sure. Can you just like do a tennis analogy once? <sighs> I don't know. Like knitting or so crafting? Alexander and I do have a mixed marriage. <laughs> she subscribes to the religion of tennis and I do not. And oh, my religion, by the way, is about to change because I just tried pickleball for the first time. So. Oh, wow. So you're becoming like a heretic in the tennis world. Uh, sure. Or it's the development of doctrine, Mike. I, I cannot see pickleball as a development of tennis. <laughs> it's so fun. All I'm saying is I cannot be a part of the sport of tennis because I cannot be a part of a sport where love means nothing. <laughs> hey, then... I've been trying to get Mike to play pickleball with me. There is no love in pickleball. Well, is that better? There's no love in pickleball? Hashtag not a sales point for pickleball. I'm a love monster, man. You are a love monster. <laughs> I need love. Where, where are we? Okay. <laughs> Our Lady of Lords, pray for us. Bernadette, pray for us. All right. 18 apparitions. She announces, I am the Immaculate Conception. Now, grammatically, do you see anything wrong with that? No, it's weird. It's just, I am. She doesn't say- I am pickleball. I wouldn't say that. Exactly. I play pickleball. Right. I was immaculately conceived. Right. 
But to say, I am the Immaculate Conception, how can a person be an act? Right. So that's the big puzzle. And the local parish priest is like, are you sure she said that? She said, yep, yep, yep. That's exactly what she said. So the mystery is, what does it mean? Okay, going back, I didn't actually explain that all of my knowledge about Our Lady of Lords is pretty much from that movie. But what I remember is that the information had not like had not come to the public yet. So it was like four years from the declaration of the Immaculate Conception. And then and then here is Bernadette, and she is, you know, in the backwoods. Yes. It's not the age of the internet. Indeed not. There's no way that she would have, you know, known that. Not just because of the slow pace of information, but also such a simple girl. So it was freaky in a way that she knew all that. Very freaky. And then, again, the articulation was freaky. I am. the Yeah. So like this peasant girl in this village, she was hillbilly. She was in the mountains. Sure. Was it the Pyrenees that uh, are between France and Spain? And she, la- she later said when she became a nun. I love this. Yeah. Very one of the nuns say. asked her, like, aren't you proud that the Blessed Virgin Mary appeared to you? Yeah. And she laughed and said, no, she picked me because I was the dumb one. Yeah, I love that. She, the saint of the simple ones. She and her family were dirt poor. Mm-hmm. They lived in a basement that was a former jail. Mm-hmm. And the Grotto of Lords was the landfill. It was the garbage dump for the town. And to think that Our Lady would appear... You think she'd be on a mountaintop, she'd be at the church, but that she appeared basically at the landfill. The humility. Yeah, absolutely. Our Lord and Our Lady meet us. All right. So what do you think is the meaning of I am the Immaculate Conception? Oh, I was told there would be no theology in this <laughs> podcast. There's always theology in this podcast. Can we do math? <laughs> uh, what does it mean that I am? She is the Immaculate Conception. Not that she she was just immaculately conceived, but that she embodies it? I think that's true. The way I always interpreted it was that it was a unique event. And because it was unique, she can own it in a unique way. I'm not just one of many who was immaculately conceived. I am unique. Okay. But. Yeah. I felt a but coming. Well, there's more. The wonderful martyr and theologian, St. Maximilian Kolbe. Pray for us. Wonderful Franciscan, famous story, died in the gas chambers of Auschwitz, or he died in a cell being starved to death. And then when he wouldn't die, uh, they injected him with cyanide. I have been to his cell in Auschwitz. It was a profoundly moving experience. This is one of the 20th century's greatest saints. Didn't he take the place of someone? Yes, he did. A, a, yep. a man who had a family. That is correct. Right. He said, I'll go instead. Right. So just a profoundly holy man. Yeah. Yeah. And we learned about him because we did the consecration to Mary probably a decade ago. And With, we learned a lot about yeah, him. Yeah, Father Michael Gately. The Gately version. And he brings up, Gately does, mm-hmm. Maximilian Kolbe's reflections on the Immaculate Conception. And I'm going to be honest with you, I don't know what to do with them. So I remember at the time that we, we read that, it's 33 Days of Morning Glory, I think it's called. Yes. And we were just so moved and all the connections that he made. And then as we were talking about, and mostly Mike was preparing for this podcast, you went back to his writings. 
Yes. Via Gately and were kind of flummoxed. Well, because what he argues is that the Holy Spirit is the uncreated Immaculate Conception and that Mary is the created Immaculate Conception. And so for so, sure, okay, Mary is the created Immaculate Conception. Of course. Right. That's that's dogma. Hey. Exactly. But he goes on to say, just as a woman takes her husband's name, name. Mm-hmm. it's appropriate that she says, I am the Immaculate Conception, because she is the spouse of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, that made sense to me when we read it. Like, oh, like I always, I've always been really animated by the idea that Mary is the daughter of the father, she is the mother of the son, and that she's the spouse. So she's like in the middle of the Trinity, that she's yeah. all those things to the three. So she like she resides and like make a little triangle, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and Mary's in the middle, having a, a relationship to each one of them. Correct. And she was conceived by the Holy Spirit, yeah. which makes the Holy Spirit, in a sense, her spouse. Yeah, for sure. I know so. it's tricky because St. Joseph is also her spouse, but we're talking on a mystical level here, so no polygamy involved. <laughs> You're so cheeky sometimes. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I, I, I actually have had interlocutors say, you can't call Mary the spouse of the Holy Spirit. She's married to St. Joseph. Uh-huh. Well, know the tradition, buddy. This has been going on for centuries, this association. So, so she, we have to figure out a way to interpret it mystically. She's also the spouse of the church. And she's also the church. And she is the church. Yeah, she's also like the archetype of the church. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it gets very complicated. But when you, when you shift gears to a mystical level, it's all good. Okay, go on. So the thing that flummoxes me about St. Maximilian Kolbe is the word conception. So Jesus Christ, begotten, not made, is the conceived of the Father. The Holy Spirit, according to traditional theology, is spirated. Right. That's the medieval term. Right, spirated, yeah. He is the love that emanates from the love between the Father and the Son. So the word expression mm-hmm. would be helpful. Maybe. Right, like Father and Son express, express their love, and yeah. that love is not just a thing, but a person. It is the person of the Holy Spirit. Just to back up. Yeah. So, And Jesus is... Conceived, there's conception. Well, he's yeah, because like, only because he has a bodily form. No, no, no. He's by the virtue of the fact that he's begotten, not made. Mm-hmm. He is conceptum. He's conceived. But so th- that's the thing that troubles me. If if you say the Holy Spirit is conceived, aren't you saying that the Father has two sons, which was vehemently denied by the early church? The Holy Spirit is not a second son. To be conceived, doesn't that imply sonship? That's my snag. I am not poo-pooing Maximilian Kolbe. I'm just having a holy happy hour trying to, <laughs> trying to think this through. These are the things we talk about. And Sometimes if, we talk about other things so that are boring. It, I know we're doing kind of... I know Trinitarian theology is tricky. If our listeners have any input, please advise. Sure. We're, we're not trying to advance help any us out. kind of heresy. Yeah, help us out. Yeah. So to back up, you're saying... The conception of Jesus, I thought, though, was his, when we speak of it, it's his bodily conception. Okay, yes. So you could think of three conceptions of Jesus Christ. One is he is eternally begotten of the Father. Okay. He is begotten in time, in, Naz- in Bethlehem, rather, born in a manger. Gotcha. And then he is 
conceived or begotten in our hearts. So through, are you thinking through, of through sanctifying grace? It sounds like you're talking about in the Trident team, right? There are three masses for Christmas. Yeah, and he's in Novus Ordo as well. Okay. Yeah. And there's yeah, so there's the three kind of birthing birthings of Jesus. Correct. Okay. Yeah. So but you said that he was conceived, he was begotten, not made. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious about begetting begotten. implies conception to my mind. Okay. So he was And the Holy Spirit, according to the councils, is not begotten. He is spirated. So then what does conceive mean? I guess that's the rub. And I'm sure Maximilian Colby has an insight, which eludes me at the moment. Yeah, so I'm not accusing him of heresy. Maybe he wasn't (laughs) drinking white ladies. Yeah. What I do like is that it affirms the close affinity between the Blessed Virgin Mary and the Holy Spirit. Not just affinity, espousal. Well, yeah, that's affinity. (laughs) Sometimes. Sometimes it's alienation, Mike. (laughs) Sorry. We'll save our marital things for therapy. Less white lady for you. (laughs) All right. Okay. But again, Immaculate Conception, Mary. Yeah. I am the Immaculate Conception. It's such an amazing thing to say. Indeed. And confusing to everybody. And it made everybody think that Bernadette was lying. I don't know, everybody, but. Yeah. Well, they, they couldn't figure it out. Yeah. All it, right. Also, like it made them think that she was just talking nonsense, but also was like, wait, what? Like there was this dogma that was just, so it also got their, the attention. It did indeed. Yeah. Maybe, she, maybe she knows them, maybe we don't know. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. All right. So we will move from these controversial matters to more controversial matters, we're going to talk about the dark side of Lourdes. Ooh, I just got a little chill. Okay, tell me about the, the dark side of Lourdes, because I actually know one dark side of Lourdes that I am not going to share, probably, because I don't think you want me to. Oh, that's so embarrassing. Please don't bring that up. Well, go ahead. So I've never been to Lourdes. Mike has been to Lourdes, and he, he tells this story out of humility to our children, especially our sons who, who serve beautifully at Mass. But that one time, Mike was visiting Lourdes when he was how old? 19. 19. And he's just, you know, a tourist at Lourdes, and he's asked to serve Mass. And so he says, yes. And he is wearing shorts. And a t-shirt. And a t-shirt. So I thought they'd give me a cassock and a surplus. So uh, it was the cathedral at Lourdes. I showed up as a tourist, dressed like a dumb American tourist. (laughs) And this old lady showed up and said, Voulez-vous servir le prêtre? Okay. Voulez-vous servir le prêtre? Ah, oui, oui. So I went up and I was like, put an alb on me or, you know, because that was kind of the thing in the day, or a cassock and a surplus. But instead, no, I was wearing shorts and a t-shirt that said, Nike, just do it. Oh, no, Mike. I never heard that detail. And so I was serving the Mass, and I felt like I wasn't serving in my underwear. No, it was you, so you, you kind of were, honestly. And then they made me a Eucharistic minister, and they put me in the back of the church. Wait, so you were serving on the altar? Yeah. I actually only thought you were a Eucharistic minister, and so that is so much more terrible than I realized. So I served as an altar boy, and then they made me a Eucharistic minister, and they gave me a ciborium, and they sent me to the back of the church. And this was the south of France, where order does not prevail. And there were a lot of like peasant folks there. 
And the story. So I'm like, how do you say body of Christ in French? And so I'm giving out Holy Communion, but it's not a communion line. It's this strange huddle of the mob. Like just the, like the masses. The stage. And it's these old toothless peasants and they're receiving on the tongue. So I'm freaking out because they're, they're coming up and they're opening up their mouths, their, their toothless mouths. And I'm distributing Holy Communion on the tongue, which, you know, at the time was not in vogue in the United States. And it's not what you were used to. Yeah. Right. And it's obviously the better way. It was just not what you were used so, to. so alien. And here you I are. I felt your, so unworthy. And your Nike t-shirt, just oh, do it. It's so embarrassing. Oh, I love your moments of humility. <laughs> I do. I really do. I think they're, they make it the man, make you the man that you are. And that's a good thing. Well, thank you, Alexander, for sharing an embarrassing moment from my wild teenage years. I call it the darker side of Lords, but you're saying there's a darker -er side of Lords? Well said, Alexandra. We move now to an even darker chapter in the history of the Lords' apparitions. All right. I can hardly imagine. So we all know the bright side of the story. The Blessed Virgin Mary appears to St. Bernadette. She instructs her to dig. A miraculous spring comes up and cures thousands of people, to this day, of incurable diseases. And Our Lady of Lourdes has become a beacon of light ever since. Our Lady of Lourdes was also a huge advocate of the rosary. And she actually corrected St. Bernadette, who prayed the rosary too fast. And she said, slow down. Oh, that's right. Meditate. But here's one interesting <laughs> thing you may not know. Okay. Wasn't she actually holding the rosary? Like the apparition? Like she's Forgive me, I don't know yeah. the details, but she did have a rosary. Yeah, Our Lady did have yeah, a rosary. Like the beads, yeah. But did you know that the rosary beads in the south of France had six decades? What? Yeah. And you can still get those at Lourdes. Why? Because like the, the rosary was not codified, codified. for many you centuries. You say codified, I say codified. <laughs> Okay, no more white lady for you. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, I just gotta sing. So yeah, so that's kind of interesting. Bernadette was playing, praying, <laughs> playing, praying six decades of the rosary. So I don't know how that fits in with the mysteries of the rosary. Yeah. That's a topic for another day. And if a listener knows, let us know. We would love to figure that out. But now, forgive me, listeners, but I ask you to put yourselves in the shoes of Satan. Yikes. You've had a good hundred years. You got the French Revolution. Oh, so true. You got a bunch of Jacobins jacked up on destroying the church and the royal family of France. Yeah. You have wrought havoc over all the land, mm -hmm. and you think you got it all in the bag. And then suddenly, the creature of God whom you fear the most, Mary. the Blessed Virgin Mary, that teenage girl who said yes to God, that creature you fear more than any other creature in all of history, yeah. she's now appearing in the south of France. Mm. So Satan is freaking out. And so what strategy... I'm trying to channel C.S. Lewis's screw tape letters right here. Yeah. He's like, I got, I got France in the bag. Exactly. What would you do? So how would you dilute or something? Exactly. Okay. So Satan adapted or adopted the solution that was in a Father Brown mystery, hmm. the mystery of the broken sword. Okay. I don't want to give away the ending, but the question in that mystery story is, 
Alexandra, where does a wise man hide a leaf? I actually don't remember that mystery, but I, I know the answer. It's in the forest. Correct. How do you hide a leaf in a forest? Okay. You hide it in the forest. But what if there is no forest? Mm-hmm. You create one. I see where you're going. And so what Satan did in 1858 was that he multiplied false apparitions of the Blessed Virgin Mary. He infested dozens of other people who then claimed to see the Blessed Virgin Mary. Oh, I remember something about this. Okay. So all these, all these false apparitions are happening at the same time or right after? Right after Bernadette and kind of at the same time, over 30 people, ranging from the virtuous to the reprobate, mm. would claim to have visions at the grotto, though never in the exact location in which Our Lady of Lords appeared. Ooh, it's got chills, like it's hollow ground. So the visions, the false visions, followed a similar pattern. These were laypersons. They had rosaries, but they, the rosaries are not blessed. As laypersons, they would bless each other's rosaries. But when they came into contact with a rosary blessed by a priest, they would recoil. So is this like a, a good encouragement for everyone to get their rosaries blessed? Because I'm not sure by all of a mine priest, are. Not, by, not yes. by your aunt, <laughs> by a priest. Yeah, that's like a little note for you, my girl, of our yeah, rosaries no. blessed. It is interesting, right? This is an historic fact. Yeah. The false visionaries wore laurels of flowers. Okay. But they plucked the lilies and roses from the bouquets brought for Our Lady. Oh, isn't that fascinating? They couldn't stand it. Right. So roses and lilies are like very special to Mary. And they didn't like it. They didn't like that. And so they just pluck them out. Okay. Like this is so weird. You're walking up and you're like, I'm offering this to Mary. And someone's like, "Uh, hold on, I got to edit that. Yeah. The baby's breath stays. They went into ecstasy during their visions, Mm -hmm. but their faces were menacing, even horrifying. Oh, gross. One boy visited the grotto and claimed to see, like St. Bernadette, a beautiful lady holding a rosary. But unlike Our Lady of Lourdes, the vision's feet were not bare, but clad in black shoes. I have heard that before, that... (laughs) Listeners, if you ever think that you have a, a vision of Mary to look at her feet, like there have been false apparitions too, where they look at her feet and they're like, they're cloven or they're covered in this case. Yeah. But like, I think for, I think for Bernadette, she was wearing gold shoes. I, I thought, no, she had roses on her Ro- yeah, Roses feet. on her feet. Yeah, that's yeah. right. But golden, her feet were bare. Roses. And I think this goes back to, to Genesis, right? That oh, her sure. heel shall crush the head of the serpent. And so... It's fascinating that apparently Satan can't fake the feet of the Blessed Virgin Mary that crushed his head. Yeah, he can't fake the, what would you call that? Feet? No, like, <laughs> like the, the device or like the thing yeah. that brought him down. Yeah. Like the heel of Mary, which is the lowest part of the body. Yeah. So that Satan, who, who is humiliated by being defeated by a little... 14-year-old girl, mm-hmm. and not just a 14-year-old girl, but the, the, literally the lowest part of her body, yeah. crushes him. Can't stand it. And, so and can't, can't fake it. Can't fake that. That's so interesting. Yeah, it's fascinating. All right. Again, if you have an apparition, check the feet out. Very good. All right. We conclude with perhaps two surprises about St. Bernadette of Subaru. The first is, she goes into a convent, becomes a nun. Mm -hmm. With whom does she develop 
a profound devotion. I think you meant of whom? Sure. Correcting my genitives? Yeah. <laughs> she develops a devotion to. To. Uh, to. Oh, there it is. There Dative, not genitive. Thank you. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I, I actually think I know it's St. Joseph. You are correct. So this is a, a girl who has seen the Blessed Virgin Mary. And, and of course she right. continues right. She was a like, devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary. I'm done with you, Mary. But she develops a devotion to St. Joseph in the convent. It's so sweet. It's as if to say, Mary's like, hey, you're part of the family now. Here's my husband. Right. That's how I feel when I meet a new friend and I'm thinking, hey, new friend, I like you so much. You know who I really want you to meet is my husband because he's awesome. And even though I don't play tennis or pickleball, (laughs) (laughs) that's okay. I want everyone to be friends with you that I'm friends with. Vice versa. Vice versa. So uh, that was one. What's the second? St. Bernadette's body. She's incorruptible. Totally incorrupt. And uh, she is in a glass altar in France, and she is radiant to this day. She looks like she's just gone to sleep. Exactly. Not that I've been there to see her, but jockeying for that trip from you, Mike. All right. Well, maybe a pilgrimage. So we, we know that she passed away, they buried her, and they went to relocate the body a number of years later. And then they exhume the body and they're like, oh my gosh, she's incorrupt. So you think the church would be like, yay, she's incorrupt. But because it was France and they were worried about accusations of chicanery. What do you mean? Trickery. Fakery? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So like, uh uh-oh, she's incorrupt, but will be accused of pulling a fast one. So what do we do? We got an idea. We got to investigate. So they hired an atheist doctor. Oh. As a safe, oh. you know, neutral voice. Right. He's not going to have any dog in the race. So he examines the body and he's completely flummoxed. The organs are still fresh. They got juices in them. Can you imagine? Like there's no rigor mortis. How many he, years, you think? Was it 20? I, forgive me. I don't remember the exact number. But it was clear that she should have decomposed and she didn't. Oh. And the atheist doctor said... Oh. This can't be explained according to medical science, and eventually, he converted to Catholicism. Of course, he did. <laughs> it's like the doctors who studied the shroud of Turin. Like they're like, okay, I'm just a an atheist who studied the shroud scientifically. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's yeah. irreplicable, and it must be true. And I convert. Someone out there should do a study of all the doctors who have converted because of these holy things. That'd be a great, great dissertation. Absolutely. I like it. Well, Mike, thank you. That's so encouraging. Well, my friends, thank you for joining us tonight. Let us pray for France. Let us pray for the intercession of Our Lady of Lords. The youngest daughter. The eldest daughter of the church. That's definitely what I said. The (laughs) eldest daughter of the church. Exactly. Yes. Come back. Yeah. Pray for France. What a great country, too. Absolutely. Well, thank you for joining us to your health and holiness. God bless. Thank you for joining us. Please get in touch with us via email at podcast at drinkingwiththesaints.com. Or on our Instagram page at Drinking Saints. And find Drinking with the Saints book series at drinkingwiththesaints.com or wherever fine books are sold. The Drinking with the Saints podcast is produced by Back Row Media.